Bruce Wright. John McClain, I owe you one. Damn right you owe me. You got any idea what those guys are doing to my shop right Chill now? Chill out, hey, Zeus. Chill out? What the car, fuck are you bro. trying to relate to me? Talk like a white man. Okay, Zeus, I'm sorry you got involved, Why you keep right? calling me Jesus? I look Puerto Rican to you. Guy back there called you Jesus. He man. didn't say Jesus. He said, hey, Zeus. My name is Zeus. Zeus? Yeah, Zeus. As in Father of Apollo, Mount Olympus. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus! I'm Joe. I'm Josh. And this is Video Dropbox, a movie chat podcast where your hosts take turns challenging each other to browse a unique section of the video store and select a film in under one minute. If a title is not selected in time, we'll have to hit the video Dropbox and defer to what's in the basket. So, Joe. Hi. We are kind of bouncing back and recovering from our, our crazy summer shenanigans here, mostly for me, my birthday, a cabin, you taking many trips to wisconsin uh well first off how was your uh 40th birthday it was it was a blast it was a night to remember i'm so glad that you and a lot of our local minnesota friends could come down and enjoy it i mean did you have a good time i did i still have uh no clue on how to skate i was watching youtube videos beforehand being like all right how are you actually supposed to roller skate and i could not figure it out for the life of me that was your first time no like my first time since middle school oh okay and in middle school what I would do, I would push off the toe break, but I'm like, I'm going to do it the right way this time. I'm like, no, I definitely deferred to <laughs> the toe break again. I'm like, I don't know. Although they had nice little carts on wheels that you could hold on to. I still crashed with that, though. <laughs> I crashed into a table. Well, you didn't fall down, though. That's I did plus. fall down. Oh, you I did? did? I did, did I, yeah. Did I, I miss that? Did I see it? was it? off on the side because I was leaving the rink. Oh. And I just like, I, I stopped myself, but the cart didn't stop and it just all crashed. I'm glad you're okay because my aunt actually ended up getting like basically rear-ended by her grandson and she <laughs> fell back on her elbow and it got real bruised. And the oh, next no. day I saw her and she's just like, I had no idea until she was just like, oh yeah, I'm all right. I, I just, I have like a, a numb sensation from my elbow to my <laughs> wrist, but it's fine. And me and my cousin, her daughter were like, go to the doctor. And she's like, I'm fine. It's like, nah, that doesn't sound like you're fine. But yeah, there, luckily I can say... There were no severe fatalities. <laughs> of course, there were people falling. I love like some of the kids, like again, my cousin's son just kept falling like repeatedly over and over again. And like my friend Steph pointed out, like at some point you saw him, he had one of those little walkers, but like his skates sometimes weren't even like the front skates weren't even touching the floor. He just like oh. was totally on the back wheels, just pushing <laughs> the thing. And like, no wonder he kept falling, but no, I had a blast. I'm so glad you could make it. I'm I, uh, all my fears were washed aside, which mostly was just playing my three-hour mix from start to finish, hearing every song and having no hiccups in between. And everyone complimented the music, whether they're just being nice, I don't know. But that's what I was worried about too: is people being like, "What is this?" I've never seen people more captivated at one of your video mixes than the after party because usually you have stuff playing on in the background at Halloween parties and you know not everyone's paying attention but man everyone was just gathered around the basement bar watching everything I know and it was killing me because here's the thing everyone I was like I'm sorry to whoever wants to talk to me but like I worked since November to July I worked countless months hours weeks days on this mix to perfect it to make it a night I will never forget. And so I was flat out telling everyone, I'm so sorry, but I won't be conversing with anyone unless you're out on the floor <laughs> skating because I work so hard on this and I want to hear every song. And in fact, I hit almost every single song skating for three hours as a 40-year-old man. And let me tell you, my body was jacked <laughs> the next day. Like, it's funny watching the video footage because it's like I'm progressively going slower and slower as the night goes on. Well, you ended strong with some sister act and All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah, so. everyone loved it. But yeah, like that was my biggest shame is that I I was trying to be a good host, partier, I don't know, party boy, <laughs> and conversing with people at the party. But like then I saw people's reactions with the video mix and I'm like, oh, all I want to do is just like stand right next to the TV and be like, and this is from Fright Night and this <laughs> is from Mannequin and this and this. Because again, just a little visual, my first hour, all I did were, it was actually an hour and 15 minutes. I did all clips from movies and TV that I absolutely love, um, which Joe and a lot of my friends up here, unfortunately, are so very familiar with seeing a lot of the same stuff. <laughs> but um, and then, yeah, the, re- the rest of the night was just like music videos and random stuff. One of many favorite gifts is I got this great 
box game, I guess you call it. It's called Horror Trivia, a trivia game of Twisted Terror. And it's just a bunch of random cards that have questions about horror movies. And I thought, okay, my husband won't know any of these, nor will a lot of my friends or family. So what better place to debut this game and just kind of inject a little horror trivia into everyone's life than to do it on the podcast, right? So with Joe's approval, I think we're going to try kind of just pull a card right off the top. I'm going to read trivia Joe, because obviously I can see the answers. We'll just see how we do. So that's simple as that. So Joe, are you ready for your card? I am ready. Oh, well, these are both so easy. I feel like I should just read both because there's two on one card. Okay. The first one is who wrote the novella, The Hellbound Heart, which inspired the movie Hellraiser? Oh, that was Clyde Barker. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to read the second one because you. This is a this is a tailor made question for Joe too. Oh, what Stephen King movie stars a teenager with a possessed 1958 Plymouth Fury? Gee, oh, I wonder. Christine. <laughs> so there you go. I won't always read two, but I thought those are so easy. We're all we're leading up already into our Halloween horror season. So. Yeah, we're counting down. We're getting there. So yeah, but we're actually not covering a horror film this time. No aren't horror we, this week. Josh, so last time, I challenged you to pick the third film in an action series, and you went with Die Hard with a Vengeance. And before we get to that, let's get a bigger picture of the Die Hard series as a whole. I don't know if this is how it was for you, or if this is how it was for culture. It felt like it was in the popular culture of the time growing up with them. That there was kind of a diehard versus lethal weapon thing going on. And my household was very pro-lethal weapon. So just by proxy, I never really cared about diehard until with a vengeance. But we were definitely a huge... Mel Gibson household until he unfortunately turned out to be a piece of shit. (laughs) But before that, we were always into his movies. So I don't know, like, did you follow what what's your relationship with the Die Hard series? Mine definitely started with with Vengeance. And then I kind of watched, I might have even watched Die Harder before I even saw the first one. I think I went backwards on that. Yeah, I so I'm similar in that capacity, because we're we've talked a lot about this, how like we end up watching the third one in like, a series first. Yeah, so many. Yeah. Just like one of the other films that you said I could have picked that I was on the fence about going back to is uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, like starting yeah. with 3 and not 1 and 2. So I saw 3 because I, I feel like it came out at a time. I mean, what year was that? This was 95. 95. So yeah, that would have been probably about the time, like our prime with my family sitting down basement watching you know like taped movies off hbo etc or going to the blockbuster hollywood video whatever i didn't obviously see any of them in theaters because i was way too young but yeah i don't know it was like a phenomenon or maybe i saw it at a sleepover or something but i definitely saw three first and i didn't see the first two until way later and in fact i'm trying to remember if i saw four i know my husband really liked four i wouldn't say he probably would rank it over the others I don't remember much about four and I never saw five. Three just always stuck with me. And it's a movie that like to this day, like whenever it's on, I can't not sit down and watch it. It's just so captivating. And like, we'll get into it further, like as we talk about the movie, but like the DVD slash Blu-ray I have of Die Hard with a Vengeance had some pretty great special features, including a like HBO behind the scenes or first look. Remember those? Those like HBO mm-hmm. first look at this movie. And that hit so much nostalgia, Joe, when I was watching that. I was like, oh my God, I remember these. The behind the scenes footage of the stunts for this is incredible. I didn't realize like, the scene in the opening when there's the bomb and like the storefront blows out and all those people go like that was a real bomb that they did and they timed out with actual stuntmen and cars and stuff to flip and they were saying like even with the stuntmen they're like we meticulously planned this out there's a specific point in the building because there's a bomb on both sides that the person has to hit in order for them to go flying otherwise it could be really bad for them they even had like footage of them being like okay if anyone feels anything like glass or something on your face You just like lay there and raise your hand and we're going to have the medic come over to help clear it because we don't want that to get in your eyes. And it's like, God, they really, I don't want to say they don't make movies like that anymore, but like, it's just such a different way of like making films. And I think like, not that the other ones are 
paced poorly, but this, I feel, is one of the most well-paced action films, or any film, really. It's just like, you're on the ground running from the opening scene, and it does not stop. It's just moving, moving, moving. And not only that, but just the dialogue, too, between oh, yeah. Jackson and Bruce Willis. It's so like, well-written. Even when it slows down a little bit, they're constantly like, what the fuck do you mean by that? And they're just, like, fighting, and it's... I swear, at the time, I remember it being... I, and I didn't do the research on this. I should have, but like, I swear there was an article at the time that came out that said something about how like it used the F word the most in a movie ever, like at the time. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like thinking. I feel Pulp of... Fiction probably would have still had it beaten. But do you know. think so? Because was that before this? It was like a year before. That's why Samuel Jackson oh. got the role because Bruce Willis suggested him after Lawrence Fishburne dropped out. That's who was supposed to be in it. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that would have changed that movie <laughs> yeah. totally. No, no shade to Lawrence Fishburne, but I just can't. I can't imagine it. There, take this. How's it work? You know how to shoot a gun? Look, all brothers don't know how to shoot guns. You racist motherfucker. Die Hard with a Vengeance was released May nineteenth, nineteen ninety-five. Opened number one at the box office. It was up against Forget Paris, the Billy Crystal Ooh. Deborah Winger <laughs> romance, and this is a rare case where. I think domestically, it was maybe number 10, like the 10th biggest film at the box office that year. But worldwide, it was the highest grossing film of 1995. So well done, Die Hard with a Vengeance. What shocked me, the Oklahoma City bombing took place just one month previously to this film's release. So I'm pretty shocked that they stuck to the date for this one. I think there was talk about maybe cutting the first scene or even bumping it back a little bit, but they stuck to it. Uh, but for cast and crew, well, the big ones, obviously, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. Uh, a fun fact, and I, I'm guessing it was not intentional, but I got a kick out of the repeated joke of this movie of Bruce Willis asking people for aspirin, which does pay off eventually, because a few years earlier in his much maligned film that I adore, Hudson Hawk, <laughs> the running joke of that film is that he's trying to have an espresso the entire movie and keeps being interrupted. So I like to think that it's a sly callback to another Bruce Willis gem. But for the villain, I mean, talking about Samuel Jackson's role originally going being Lawrence Fishburne, the villain in this film as Simon is Jeremy Irons. And originally, it seems that they first asked Sean Connery. Oh, man. Who didn't want to play this diabolical of a character. And then I also saw that uh, David Thewlis was also in talks to be a villain. And those are kind of like the majority of the cast. There are a few... Uh, supporting people that we see pop up. I think the more notable ones, there's Graham Greene, who's probably most known for uh, Dances with Wolves, but I know him well, speaking of Mel Gibson movies of the <laughs> mid-90s in Maverick. He was Maverick's friend. It's a great movie. Uh, yes, I love it. I love that movie so much, and I hate that I feel bad about it now, and like I feel bad recommending it. No, no apologies, because this is before Mel Gibson was an asshole, and he's not doing anything controversial in the movie, except maybe like slapping Jodie Foster around or whatever, but that's about... I do wonder if the Native American scenes are also looked down upon, but I feel like those are done satirically, like they run on the joke too, so... Oh yeah, no, like I full-on still laugh, because that's exactly it. But also we have another one of the cops is Colleen Camp, who I know best as Yvette the maid in Clue, and also... In Wayne's World, she was the wife of Noah Vanderhoff. Yeah, Noah Vanderhoff's wife. But I'm assuming you know her better from Valley Girl and Sliver, perhaps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lots of great movies. She's definitely, I think she's like an unofficial gay icon. I feel like she definitely has like a gay, like underground following of people being like, yes, Colleen Camp. And also the weirdest one was Sam Phillips. She plays Katya, the silent killer. Not really an actress, she later went on to be the composer for Gilmore Girls and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Wow. Uh, this is directed by John McTiernan, coming back from the first Die Hard. He turned down Batman Forever to do this movie. So Wow, imagine. What would that have looked like with him know, as Batman his Forever? His aesthetic? Yeah. But also, John McTiernan's filmography is pretty awesome. I mean, the big ones other than the diehards are there's predator and hunt for red october but also one of our loves last action hero Woo! <laughs> um, but also he did first like 
do you, did you ever see Medicine Man with Sean Connery off in the rainforest and he found a cure for cancer? I never saw it, but I know the box. I can see the cover yeah. art. That's that's probably why. Like I, I was like weirdly enthralled with that movie as a kid. I, I can't imagine <laughs> it's very good. But he also did uh, his first film was a horror film with Pierce Brosnan called Nomads, which hmm. is very strange. And I, I was actually considering that for the upcoming Halloween episodes of this podcast. I think I'm going Ooh. to something else, but it's a really curious horror film that I recommend. And also what a career for the screenwriter, Jonathan Hensley who wrote this script originally as an original film called Simon Says, but it was first, there's rumors. There's a lot of rumors of like different scripts were going to be utilized for different movies, but I think this one's true. I think that the studio was going to use it to make a new lethal weapon, but then I think the studio changed or the producer changed. I don't know, something changed. So it went to Die Hard instead. There's a rumor that one of the original scripts written as a potential Die Hard 3, later became Speed 2 Cruise Control. That is not true. I looked up into that one. I guess uh, Jan DeBont did make his own script for that one. Well, Jonathan Hensley, he also wrote Jumanji and Armageddon. And the uh, if you're a fan of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, he wrote the episode where Dracula shows up. Oh. The cinematographer Peter Menzies Jr., just a few films that he's done. A Time to Kill and Miss Congeniality 2. And then also uh, The Gods of Egypt, which you've mentioned before, having liked. Oh, yeah. And as for what Leonard Moulton had to say about this film, he gives Die Hard with a Vengeance three stars. Whoa. And it should be noted that he gave the first four Die Hards all three stars. It's the fifth one that got two stars. Even the fourth? Yeah, even the fourth. He was a fan. I don't know, Mr. <laughs> Leonard Bolton. We've covered some other really great films that have gotten less than three stars. But I'm glad this one has three. But here's what he had to say about Die Hard with Vengeance. A madman holds New York City hostage with bombings and threats of more, targeting his demands at ousted cop John McClane, who inadvertently acquires a partner in hostile Harlem storekeeper Jackson. Logic and motivation take a backseat to big-scale action in this non-stop roller coaster ride. It's like watching 12 chapters of a high-tech Saturday matinee serial all at once. That's a pretty good description of it, actually. Yeah, definitely agree with that non-stop roller coaster ride. Well, should we jump into it? Yes, I'm ready. All right. So we open with the skyline of NYC and our title. I love this. Like our title literally slams onto the screen as Summer in the City by the Love and Spoonfall plays. And I love this song. Actually, I every time I hear it, I think of this movie. Uh, but we get a few random shots of the bustling streets until a bomb goes off at a department store. We cut to the inside of a chaotic NYPD office where we meet officers Connie Kowalski, played by Colin Camp. Joe Lambert, who's Graham Greene, our Maverick star, and Inspector Walter Cop. And Walter receives a call from the bomber who tells him that the bomb was just to get his attention. And then the bomber requests John McClane specifically, but is told that John's not there because he's on suspension. Because, you know, what kind of shenanigans is John up to now? So the bomber mentions he wants to play a game of Simon Says with Detective McClane, and if the inspector doesn't comply, another bomb will be set off. So we waste zero time as we jump back <laughs> to the back of a van. Yeah, no, no setting up what where he's been all this time. Yeah, what's going on with John? <laughs> Why was he suspended? We don't know. I, I don't think they ever mention it, do they? Uh, I don't remember them mentioning anything. I don't think so. I think it's just a fact. Like, he's yeah. suspended. Uh, and so we see Walter, Connie, and Joe with John in the back of this van. Uh, who has, at this point, seen better days, because as Joe mentioned, he's got this kind of reoccurring thing where he's like, anybody got some aspirin? Because he's clearly hungover. He knocks back some aspirin with a coffee and asks what the lottery, brings up kind of the lottery, saying, does anybody know what the numbers were last night? And then just kind of alludes to, you know, how everyone, all the cops in New York play their badge numbers, which kind of sets up something that pays off later. So we get a quick reference of John's wife, Holly, before he begins to essentially strip down and secure a gun to his back. And while he's doing this, John asks about his backup. But right now we like have no context of what's happening. We're just like, oh, we're in the middle of something and we're about to find out. So his inspector uh, tells him they were instructed to pull back 10 blocks. And this immediately makes John concerned. So he, as he's exiting the police van and is fitted with a sandwich board, they essentially say to him, John, we'll be back in 15 minutes. And he says, take your time. I expect to be dead in four. <laughs> I love uh, when they leave, John is shamefully walking through a Harlem neighborhood, and he passes by an elderly African-American woman who makes a face at him. 
Uh, and at this point, we know like something's on the sandwich board. We just don't know what yet. And so it cuts to inside Carver's appliance shop where two young boys uh, introduce us to their uncle Zeus Carver, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And the two kids try pawning this boom box, but Zeus puts them in their place and lectures them about getting themselves into bad situations. And he also reminds them that they have to do things for themselves and stresses the importance of education and not getting help from anyone, especially white people. So before the kids leave, they ask their uncle to take a look at something in the street. And when he does, it's then revealed that John is walking around with a sandwich board on that has an incredibly offensive racial slur on it. I sometimes question whether for films in like the early and mid 90s, like did I catch them on TV when they would have been edited? But this one definitely rented this one because I remember this sign. And the TV edit, I believe, changes what the sandwich board says to I hate everybody, which really pretty funny change. Yeah. Wow. I would love to see, you know, like, you know, how Showgirls had VH1 did that like edited version of Showgirls with the like bras and stuff painted on. Oh, I, yeah. would, I would love yeah. to see something like that with Die Hard with a Vengeance because all the language, like I just <laughs> hearing it like badly dubbed, I'm sure is just fantastic. So Zeus, after seeing this, essentially tells the kids, you better call 911 because there's about to be a murder. I love that he's just flat out like, yep. Uh, Zeus crosses the street and approaches John and warns him that basically if the neighborhood kids, anyone in the neighborhood, essentially sees him, it'll be his end. And John tells Zeus it's a police matter and explains the situation regarding the bomb downtown and even references Simon, which from there on forward, I don't think John is the first one to say it. I think the police inspector is, but we now refer to our bomber as Simon because he likes to play this game of Simon Says. So... While they're talking, there's a group of guys kind of at a nearby stoop who spot John and approach the two of them. And Zeus sort of just tells John, start acting crazy, because that's the only way you're going to get out of this. And so John complies, but the stoop crew do not let up. And they even, like, bounce a basketball on his head, throw a knife at the sandwich board, and even smash a bottle over John's head. And when John hits the ground, Zeus spots the gun taped to his back and pulls it on the group to sort of give him some reprieve and they end up cutting Zeus in the arm and try to mess with him a little bit but McLean and Zeus end up kind of running away jumping into a car and holding a driver at gunpoint essentially telling him to drive to step on it and to run all the lights <laughs> just don't even stop just keep driving because they're being chased at this point by all the guys who are like throwing glass bottles and shit and I love in the car this is one of my favorite dialogues back and forth Joe that I was saying so John McLean keeps calling Zeus hey Zeus and he's like, why do you keep calling me Jesus? Do I look Puerto Rican to you? He didn't say Jesus. He said, hey, comma, Zeus. My name is Zeus, as in father of Apollo, Mount Olympus. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. <laughs> so um, we cut back to the station where we are introduced to Fred Schiller, a shrink who explains that they're dealing with a megalomaniac personality with possible paranoid schizophrenia. And then we also meet bomb expert Charlie Weiss, who excitingly tells the crew about one of Simon's bombs he found in a park. And I, I didn't mention this character because I didn't really know the actor from anything, but I really like this character and I'm really impressed. Like a lot of the side characters don't get a whole lot of screen time, but this does a really good job at making them pretty interesting, whether it be this character or Katya. Yeah. Who says not one word of dialogue in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> I especially love this scene, too, because as he's explaining how the bomb works, which basically is once the two, it says the bomb consists of binary liquid that goes off once it's mixed. And as it mixes, you have about 10 seconds before it detonates. And so he like is basically doing like a show and tell to the entire like police station. And he basically like pokes a pin in each side of the liquid and then like touches it together and then throws it at a chair. And like the chair explodes in the, <laughs> in the room. And I just love like, that's just another great reaction from Colleen Kemp. Who's just like, son of a bitch, you motherfucker. Or something like that. She's just like, has this really big reaction. Cause clearly it's a mini bomb essentially. It's so great. But we cut to Simon calling the station and essentially the entire station starts like listening in as Simon starts talking in riddles and he requests Zeus to join the call, referring to him as the Ebony Samaritan. And I love that Zeus is like, you got a problem with Ebony? <laughs> And Simon tells him how he went through a lot of trouble setting up that stint for John. And in return, he now demands that Zeus be part of the game. 
And Zeus tells him immediately to shove it up his ass. <laughs> Simon hangs up. And so, I, again, these back and forth, it's so great. Uh, so Simon eventually calls back a few minutes later and tells, um, and warns him essentially not to speak like him, speak like that again. Uh, and then the police, meanwhile, while they're talking, try tracking Simon, but find out he's essentially using a scramble system. So Simon instructs John and Zeus to go to the subway station of 76th and Broadway. There they will receive a call from a payphone. And John tries fishing for some details about his identity. And uh, Walter joins in the conversation, essentially trying to calm Simon down, saying, you know, McLean's not worth it. And he goes over how terrible his life is and how it's in the toilet. And Simon mentions that he wouldn't trade McLean for all the gold in the world. Wink. Uh... And so <laughs> Simon hangs up. John is essentially given his badge back to join the team and kind of pursue this ghost. And then Zeus flat out is like, I don't want any part of this and storms off. But John essentially chases after him and convinces him to stay because he's part of the game and he needs him in order to move forward. So the two men arrive at the requested intersection and there's a large woman on the payphone just like talking and John tries politely asking her to get off. But I love that Zeus just immediately hangs it up and he's like, bitch, get off the phone. (laughs) So then the phone rings. It's Simon who asks why it was busy. And John mentions it's a public phone. What do you expect? But Simon specifically points out the large woman, essentially indicating that they're being watched. So Simon then rattles off this incredibly tongue twisty riddle. And I don't know how they do it. Because I even first, like when I heard it, I was like, what? I would have died right away because I couldn't catch all the details. But he essentially shares that the last digit of a phone number is the number they need to call Simon back at or else he'll detonate a bomb in the trash nearby. So Zeus and John argue over the clues, but Zeus ultimately solves it because he's a boss. John calls Simon back and gloats. Simon tells him he's 10 seconds late. And so they run for cover, yelling, everybody watch out, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. But nothing happens. And we kind of have the phone swinging and you hear Simon laughing and taunting them. So they return to the payphone and... Simon such says, I didn't say Simon says. And then announces immediately after, Simon says and challenges them to go 90 blocks New York traffic to a subway station. Once they do, they'll find a provocative package, in Simon's words, on the number three train, where they'll have to await instructions on a payphone at a particular stop. So John immediately hijacks a taxi and erratically drives through Central Park as a shortcut, because Azus says, like, there's no way you're going to get uptown in enough time. And the way they filmed some of this is they cut like a cab in half. And so it was like the front part of the cab existed, but the back end was like a pickup truck. And Mm. so the like driving maneuver, I don't know, maneuvers, there was like a stunt guy in the back pickup truck area, like part where the camera is driving them erratically through the park. And so then they have the guys in the front seat that look like an actual cab, like pretending to drive and like swerve through traffic. And it's like, again, brilliance. Like, who would have thought of that? Like, it would have probably just been a stuntman and looked really hokey or like they do these shots so it eludes that they're moving, but they're not. But this is amazing. They're literally like hauling ass through Central Park with the front end that looks like a real cab. So I I loved it. Uh, So they exit the park, but are immediately stopped by traffic. So John calls an emergency dispatch to essentially follow through the city so they can get around the traffic and eventually pulls over to the side of the road by a subway station and says, I'm headed down there. Zeus, run up ahead, go to the next stop so you can answer the payphone. So Zeus hauls ass out of there. John manages to essentially like, I don't know, is it like a grate in the floor or something where he jumps down on top of the train? Yeah, he misses the train stop. So he just jumps on top of it. Yeah, that's right. Because I think he can see it passing. So he's Mm -hmm. like, oh, shit. So he jumps on that. Meanwhile, Zeus rushes to the station, hops the turnstile, and heads down. And then um, on the train, John searches each car. I love that there's a woman who screams when he looks underneath her. He like <laughs> doesn't even touch her. He just like looks under her seat. But he eventually finds the bomb inside a call box and realizes the box is attached by a magnet and removes it from the train. He begins to walk it to the back of the train and tells everyone to move to the other cars. Meanwhile, Zeus arrives at the payphone and is challenged by um, another person using it, but he calmly asks the man to get off, but that guy refuses. So Zeus loses his cool and yells at the guy, and as he rushes off, Zeus is approached by a nervous police officer who draws his gun. And essentially, again, I think we're supposed to believe, too, like the police officer saw him jump the turnstile and was going to like approach him. So the phone begins to ring. 
And there's a tense standoff because he's basically being held at gunpoint, but has to answer the phone. And the cop is like yelling, put your hands up. Zeus does answer. And Simon asks him about McLean and mentions that they are a package deal. And when he learns basically that he's not standing right there, Simon immediately hangs up on him. So on the train, we cut to the bombs beginning to mix and making noise. And John makes it to the back of the train, thankfully tosses it out, out the back just as it detonates. But I do love that kind of cutaway too, where like after Simon hangs up, Zeus is like, you better get down or something like oh, that. Yes. Like I, I would get down if I were you or something yeah. to the cop, because just like he was warning him, the bomb detonates and totally fucks up that whole like subway system. Like the train derails. There's a lot of destruction in the subway. And we even get some of these shots of up top of people fleeing and smoke blowing up from the sky uh, subway. And luckily both our protagonists are okay. Uh, so later while John is getting patched up, Joe is there and he mentions that there were no fatalities. John mentions that it's a miracle that they, him and Zeus even got there in time and how the bomb was essentially going to go off regardless of whether they made it and that it was all just like a setup. So John and Zeus are summoned by the FBI who start showing them some black and white photos of Matthias Targo, who is apparently labeled a freelance terrorist, but specializes in explosives. And meanwhile, there's another picture of Katya, Simon's right-hand person, who we don't get much detail of, but she's this beautiful blonde woman who composes music. Um, (laughs) And then our final photo is of Simon Peter Gruber, and the events of the first film are brought up, and we get a quick shot of Hans Gruber falling to his death, and we finally learn that Simon is Hans' brother, and that is why he is so obsessed with trying to kill John. Oh, it's the first twist. Twist! And Hans Gruber was played by... Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, that's right. So his brother. So Simon ends up calling the van while Zeus and John are in there with the FBI. And the FBI essentially are like, hey, we want to remain anonymous. Don't tell them we're here. But Simon calls them out right away. And I love this line, Joe, where he's like talking to one of the FBI agents who is like literally chewing on his glasses. And I was like thinking, what is up with this guy? Like he is acting very sassy, right? And Simon full-on calls him out and says, still trying to butch up by chewing on your glasses? (laughs) Uh, And then he essentially tells them, you know, Simon placed the bomb in a school somewhere in New York, and it's set to explode exactly at 3 p.m. But if they attempt to evacuate any schools, the bomb will be detonated. And Simon says, John and Zeus are tasked with three very specific errands that will eventually lead them to find figuring out which school is the right school. And so Simon tells them to first head to Thompson Square Park and tells the inspector that they need to let them do it alone. And then the inspector enlists essentially his team to start searching schools for the bomb as John and Zeus are running all over town and to do it discreetly so the press doesn't hear about it to cause panic. So as all everyone disperses, we see Simon on top of the building, directly above them, and you hear him say, they bought it, hook, line, and sinker. So would you say twist two? Twist two! Okay. (laughs) And man, I love this twist so much that the first 45 minutes of this nonstop movie, you're going one way and it's like, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah, it's great. So uh, we immediately see like a line of trucks arrive at the bomb scene as everyone disperses. And Simon poses as a city engineer and mentions he and his crew are there to assess the damage. And half the crew go down into the subway while Simon and the other half enter the Federal Reserve Bank. And he's wearing a nice suit and looking really fancy. So down below, we see Simon's crew take over and begin drilling into a wall, which essentially leads into the Federal Reserve's vault. And then we see inside the vault, there's like mountains of gold bricks. So now we know what he's after. And at the bank entrance above, we see Simon essentially take it over and attempt to access the vault. But there's like a standoff with some officers who are actually there like to try to, you know, defend the gold or whatever. And then we see Simon's Head bitch in charge, Katya, who we talked about. She has to be actually one of my favorites, even though she doesn't utter a line. Oh, yeah. Because this is what stands out to me the most, Joe. And this is like the tr- the one and only like horror moment. Because she ends up sneaking up behind these officers who are like guarding the vault. Because they, at this point, have drilled through the wall and she's coming in through that way. Sneaks up behind them with this like scythe-like knife. It's really brutal. And just essentially just goes ape on them like she's like doing like a dance almost like a waltz like slitting her throat just slashing them to bits and in fact like simon even has to like get in there and like grab her by the arm and be like i think they're dead but it's so great 
and then we also get a quick mention from Simon that he said the gold is essentially worth $140 billion. And so his crew immediately start moving everything. Uh, so we cut to across the city where Zeus and McLean arrive at Thompson Square Park. They answer a payphone in the nick of time and are given a riddle. It leads them to a fountain with a briefcase. And I love that they argue too, where like John's basically like, go get that bomb. And Zeus is like, you get it. And he's just like, you haven't done anything yet. And he's like, I'll do something once you get that bomb. (laughs) (laughs) So John opens it and sees, of course, it's a bomb. And Simon calls them on a cell phone that is in the case to give them instructions on how to disarm it. And so he explains it's on a pressure sensor and the two of them are tasked in figuring out how to fill a jug so it equals exactly four gallons. And they work together to figure out Simon's game and the bomb is essentially deactivated and they're called once again by Simon who congratulates them and gives them another riddle task that involves the 21st president and Yankee Stadium. And I should point out that like, I mean, it's too much to go into in the summary because it would be super detailed. You might as well just watch the movie itself. But like these riddles also, like even though they're there just as... You know, they've been revealed just to be this kind of wild goose chase that are not part of the plan at all. They're like super clever and really interesting. No, they really are. I was going to I was going to say that same thing, like this whole like measuring the water jug thing is like almost kind of instructional, like educational. Like, well, if I ever needed to figure out what how many ounces and two jugs are like, this is how to do it. I believe the screenwriter said he added that in there because that was on some test that he had that he couldn't figure out. So (laughs) school pays off. Yeah. Put it in a diehard movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So Zeus ends up, after they've solved the bomb and closed it, closed the briefcase, essentially de-arming it. Zeus grabs the briefcase and fears someone like a kid might find it. Because, of course, John, I think, like walks away and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like some kid might find that. And so while he's doing that, we essentially, John, like, sees two kids on bikes, like, stealing from a bodega, and he ends up, like, putting an arm out and stopping them. And one of the kids mentions that there are no cops in sight and that someone could even steal City Hall. I love this kid, too, because he's very New Yorker. He's like, look around! There's no cops in sight! Yeah, I don't know, I'm doing a horrible rendition, but he's like, you could steal City Hall! (laughs) Oh, it's, it's great. It's, uh, what's his name from American Tale? Oh, yeah, it's Tony. Yes, it's Tony. I was thinking Newsies, but yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. It's Philo and Tony on their bikes. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. So John has an immediate epiphany after that and jumps on a bike telling Zeus to follow him. So they steal the kids' bikes, which I love. And then the kids, like, are throwing shit at them while they're driving away. I love it. The nerve. But um, they're almost immediately run over by speeding dump trucks. And John points out that Wall Street doesn't have any schools, but does have lots of money. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they arrive at the Federal Reserve and some of Simon's goons radio Simon to tell him that they have arrived. And Simon is very clear about his instructions. He says to let Zeus go, but to kill McLean. So uh, Zeus hands the bomb over to these fake cops while very John... freaked out about it <laughs> yeah i love it because then like yeah they, they kind of rush, rush off and you see like the one put it on the ground and another one's like what are you doing some kid might find <laughs> yeah. that i love it it's like the same conversation <laughs> but uh yeah so john goes inside while you know zeus is handing the bomb over to fake cops and i love this line too because again in the inside of the federal reserve bank are like more fake cops and they're like are you all right and he's like oh laundry day and it's like got <laughs> blood and like Just like smoke and dirt and everything. It's just, he looks like hell. And I love that. But John flashes his badge and asks if he can look around. And he's escorted essentially to the vault elevator by different fake cops. And as they're riding down, John asks them about the lottery numbers last night to test whether they're actual cops. And they end up failing the test. So that's that payoff from earlier. And he immediately takes them out in like a real bloody mess. Because isn't he just shooting them? Like Because he's like, oh, I have my lottery tickets right here. And then he shoots them through his shirt. And then like he's holding off one guy. And there's like this vicious scene where it's like a close-up on Bruce Willis's face that is just splattered with blood yeah. when he shoots the last guy. I was like, oh, God. See, and that's what I remember with this one, like, opposed to the other two, I don't remember them being this gory. Like, and it's yeah. not gory in the way that it's, like, drawing it out. It's just, like, a lot of blood. Like, yeah. that Katya scene, and then this. Yeah. Uh, so, John takes this big cops out. He reaches the vault runs into Zeus, who has essentially entered through the explosion route, and they realize the dump trucks from before were probably used to move the gold, because the vault is completely empty, except for, like, a few gold bars, which I'm pretty sure... Yeah, they just left one? Zeus grabs one, right? Doesn't he grab? He's like, holy shit, is this gold? And takes it. 
And then uh, John ends up hot wiring a car. So the two of them can chase after the dump trucks in the general direction. And they end up spotting some of the trucks um, on the FDR. And so they steal another car that has a car phone. So John can make a call to Walter. So John ends up getting through to Walter. He tells them about the gold in the trucks. And they're essentially cut off as they're entering the tunnel. And then Walter mentions all the info that John shared with him to Connie and Joe. And Connie immediately says, well, trucks aren't allowed on the FDR. And so we cut to Simon calling his men at the reserve, but he gets no answer because we see like the radios that belong to these men are a bloody mess. So we get a quick shot of the pile of bodies in the elevator and he hangs up and calls a radio station and then reveals live on air that there is a bomb in one of the schools and mentions that's why all the police are busy rushing around the city. So this is obviously inciting panic. So John and Zeus try tailing the trucks on the FDR, but they realize they're completely gone. And Zeus sees them on the street below. And I love that John's like, this thing have airbags? And he's like, well, your side does, but I don't know about mine. And then Giant immediately drives the car off a bridge into the street below. What a dick. Cutting off one of the trucks and holds the driver at gunpoint. And he sees, essentially, he just finds out it's just a regular truck. And the driver tells him he's on his way to the aqueduct that goes all the way to the Catskill Mountains. And then John says, go take the car and go to Yankee Stadium. And then he ends up getting in the truck with the driver and is led to the aqueduct pipe. Finding out that like the contractor on site is just like, yeah, these asshole trucks came barreling through and like hauled ass down the pipe. And so that basically, again, tells John like, oh, yeah, that must have been Simon and his crew. So that's when, yeah, yeah, Zeus is on his way to Yankee Stadium to check things out. While John is like, okay, I'm going to head down this aqueduct and see what's going on and where it leads. So John enters the tube with Jerry, the truck driver who told him about the aqueduct, the one that he cut off earlier. This guy is pretty great too. Yeah, again, it's just like this tiny minor character, but he's so great for the little bit we get with him. Well, and he he solves the mystery of the 21st yeah. president, which is great. So uh, they run into a stalled truck down the tube and oh this is another great scene mclean borrows jerry's hard hat and vest and approaches the truck and inside simon's goons get ready to shoot mclean but john immediately i think he says like one word he's just like hey something 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 and then immediately blows them away without actually even seeing what the could you imagine if he if they were like in <laughs> if it was people? a legit truck again. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> whoops just kidding so yeah he tells jerry to call walter cobb you know the inspector with an update of what's happening and mentions 21st president. Find out who the 21st president is. And Jerry immediately tells him, oh, it's Chester A. Arthur. And so we cut to Yankee Stadium where Zeus arrives, checks out the clue and finds this handheld baseball game with the words game over taped on the back. And this is like another fun little tense scene, I thought, because it's revealed that there's a sniper awaiting instructions to kill him, but they hold off since he's alone. And then Zeus rushes out of the stadium and the two men mentioned that they'll basically tail him to see where he goes. So Walter and crew arrive at Chester A. Arthur's school to look for the bomb and find it inside a fake refrigerator. And so Charlie, the um, bomb expert, is there and is essentially attempting to deactivate it. Back in the duck, Simon and crew pass the dam. He radios to the crew who are waiting at the entrance, basically saying like, oh, okay, we're through. You can come down now. And John replies, attention, attention. Nils is dead, fuckhead. <laughs> we see John following them uh, in the dead goon's truck. And Simon tries persuading John with the gold that's in the back of the truck, but he doesn't budge. And Simon and his crew essentially make it all the way out of the tunnel and use the bomb that he handed over to those fake cops earlier to blow the dam entrance. And there's a pretty great scene, in my opinion, of John trying to outrun the water. And he narrowly escapes, essentially getting shot out of the tunnel to the street above. And I love this. Which is very goofy. (laughs) The visual is great because Zeus is coincidentally driving right by this like open, what is a manhole or something? Yeah. And just looks over and sees like this water bursting from the ground up. And then John just flies through the air and then just like lands in a pot, like a giant pool of water. And the two hitmen following Zeus start shooting, you know, because Zeus goes over to help John and they immediately are attacked by the two hitmen that were following Zeus. And John uh, hops in the getaway car. Uh, the two of them are chased. John mentions Chester A. Arthur Middle School and the bomb. 
And then Zeus immediately points out that his nephews from the pawn shop we met earlier go to that very school. So coincidence, right? But um, John takes over driving the getaway car, manages to flip the other car that's chasing them. And when he investigates the bodies, he finds exactly 10 quarters and mentions the guys in the tube had the same amount, probably for tolls. So this is leading them now to their next point of interest. So uh, we get a few scenes, you know, with the Chester A. High School, like drama, like this is one thing I guess I didn't really care as much about. Like, it's kind of tense because it keeps cutting back and forth. There are parts that are less interesting to me. I don't know how you felt, but yeah, but I mean, I get why they did it with the nephews following them, not listening to the cops and staying in the school. Yeah, being asshole kids and the tension too, I suppose. Yeah, the, basically the nephews are at the school with some friends and they separate from the rest of the school and are locked in a classroom on accident because the cops are preparing all the students to do a fake fire drill so they can evacuate the school in case Charlie doesn't deactivate the bomb in time. So McLean and Zeus, uh, back to them, track the trucks to the dock and see that they have already boarded a ship that's left the port. And while the ship passes underneath the bridge that they're standing directly on, I don't know why he thought this was a good idea, but they use this cable from their car to climb down. Oh, because I love, like, Zeus is like, why don't we just jump? And he's just like, that jump isn't possibly far. Like, you don't want to do that. Why don't we just climb down? So as they're slowly climbing down, the cable gets snagged on the boat, pulls the entire car off the bridge. The cable whips Zeus and McLean onto the ship. But the best part is, again, gratuitously, there is like this goon holding a gun and the cable just slices right through the guy's body as he's like shooting the gun, too, I think. The shot is amazing. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) And I love like when it cuts to them, they're just like, like I said, just like flat on the deck of the ship and even Zeus is like boy am I glad you talked me out of jumping because clearly that even hurts and I okay so this is another great follow-up I love this line too where like John well first off they grab the goon's body and then like both of the like you grab his arms you grab his legs and then they end up like basically dragging it together but they're literally like shoulder to shoulder as they're dragging like the two pieces it's so fucked up but i love it but then he grabs the guy's gun and gives it to zeus and says you know how to shoot a gun right and i love zeus is like all brothers don't know how to shoot a gun you racist motherfucker (laughs) uh and john teaches him and the two end up splitting up to look for simon but again such punchy dialogue it's great we are kind of inside the boat where there's a brief scene of simon's goon Matthias learning that some of the shipping containers are filled with this burnt looking metal and actually missing the gold. I wasn't quite sure what that was because he holds it up, but it looks really jacked. I can't quite tell what it is. I'm not really sure if it's just some kind of like messed up metal, rusted metal or something. Yeah, I don't know. But well, and then Zeus spots Katya um, and ends up kind of following her and he finds eventually finds Simon and holds him at gunpoint. And immediately asks for the bomb code, but Simon refuses. And when Zeus tries to shoot him, Simon grabs the gun and mentions that the safety's on um, and shoots him in the leg and asks basically about McLean. And all while, may I say, eating a hard-boiled egg. Yes, it is very <laughs> badass. I love I love Simon in this scene. Yeah, he's just like, oh, yeah, you got to take the safety off and just shoots him right in the leg as he's eating his hard-boiled egg. But uh, McLean runs into Matthias, and the two of them have it out in the yard. But John ends up beating him with a chain and essentially taking his gun. Uh, and he runs up top and finds the bomb countdown. Basically, it's counting down the bomb that's at the school. And so he's like freaking out because he's like, oh, shit, we got to deactivate it somehow. And so while that's happening, we cut back to the school as the time is literally running out. Um, and then the cops just pull the plug and decide to evacuate. So all the kids end up successfully getting out everyone's relieved until joe connie and walter spot the nephews and the friends locked in the classroom banging on a classroom window because they they saw everyone flee from the school and they're like oh shit we're locked in someone help us so connie and uh, joe they rush inside to save them and they do get to the classroom i think they unlock the classroom door because the janitor throws them the keys but instead they run to the roof i don't know why they decided they're like this way and they run to the roof it's like no you just came up from the ground what are you doing but um they think that the building next to them is close enough for them to jump to but again they have children there that have to jump so they realize um when it's too late that it's too far away so the bomb immediately starts beginning to mix charlie desperate cuts all the wires and immediately gets sprayed in the face with some of the liquid, which reveals to be fake. And I was wondering that too, 
Joe, with the liquid, like, did anyone think about that? Like, what if they just punctured one half of the liquid and drained it? Like, would it still I had thought about that before. <laughs> activate or not? Yeah. I don't know. So back on the ship, Simon and the gang find John and hold him at gunpoint. Simon tells him he's not a monster and that there never was a bomb in the school, that basically it was just all a distraction. Another twist. Twist. Twist three. I don't know. Uh, I stopped counting, but he and Zeus are tied to the real explosives and lowered down by the containers housing all the gold. And Simon announces that he plans to blow all the gold as a statement. And he asks John if he has any last requests, which John asks for some aspirin. And Simon laughs, throwing him his bottle. He says, keep it. But his hands are tied. So that's what's so funny. It's like, how did he even get it? Was it like between his knees or something? <laughs> so Simon and Katya board a smaller boat. And there, they run into a worse-for-wear Matthias, who asks Simon where the gold is and mentions that to Katya that they were betrayed by Simon. Katya removes her gun, points it at Simon, and then slowly moves it towards Matthias and blows him away. And so, here's another twist! Another twist! And back inside the ship, Zeus ends up picking John's lock. Not without, you know, of course, more commentary about like, you know, oh, do you know how to pick a lock? Is that some real racist shit? I think it's what he says. He's like, no, like, come on. So he drops the pin. Uh, Zeus ends up freeing John, John's cuffs, I guess, but drops the pin before he can unlock his own handcuffs. And so while he's doing that, the bomb starts immediately mixing and Zeus tells John to leave, but he tells him he doesn't need his death on his conscience. So he uh, remembers Charlie's little bomb display from earlier, mixes both liquids sort of on this little stake, and he's like, this is going to hurt or something like that, and strikes it against Zeus's handcuffs and it essentially just explodes. But it frees Zeus up, and both make it up top and jump off the ship. Uh, after the ship explodes, we see our protagonists are great because they're unsure where Walter, Connie, and Joe catch up with the two of them. John essentially sulks that he didn't get to stop Simon, but Zeus tells him that he should be happy to be alive. Then John asks for a quarter. Sorry, Zeus asks for a quarter so John can finally call his wife and try to reconcile with her because there's some earlier dialogue about how like he left her hanging or something like that. Yeah, like she she had hung up on him in a fight a year ago and he never called her back. And like that's, that's right. why they're separated. So John does end up getting a quarter. He tries attempts to call his wife on a payphone to reconcile. Um, and while he's waiting for her to answer the phone, he pops a pill from Simon's aspirin bottle and notices a label on the top. And so he rushes off just as Holly answers. Uh, and you kind of hear her say, hello, John? God damn it, you asshole, or something like that. So we catch up with Simon, who is now celebrating with his crew. They drink champagne and reveal the gold, uh, and they prepare Simon's getaway chopper, to which he tells them no rush, as he's following Katya, who's slowly, sensually walking upstairs. Ooh. And the two engage in the like roughest, kinkiest like foreplay. I don't know, they're literally body slamming each other. So while they're getting it on, they're interrupted by police lights and a helicopter. And then there's this quick shot of a neon sign. And it says, Nordelines. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it immediately switches over to north of the border, which was on Simon's aspirin bottle. And we see John and Zeus in the helicopter. Yeah, because what is that? The I forget. Oh, yeah. It's like the name of the store where they bought it from. So that's why he was able to trace it. Like a pharmacy it. or something. I'm yeah. imagining it's, it's similar... Maybe not the same, but like, you know, you can go to Mexico and get any kind of prescription drug, like something like that, maybe. Yeah. Well, no, I but guess, it's aspirin, so it's not like it's a drug. I guess it says it's the name of an actual truck stop just inside the Canadian side of the border crossing. So, well, Katya and Simon, she's pissed. I think she starts firing a gun at them. And so then Katya and Simon board their getaway copter, go after Zeus and McLean. They are shot down. Sorry, Zeus and John are shot down and shot at by Simon. So McLean rushes off and is followed by the helicopter and realizes uh, he only has one bullet left. So as Simon closes in, John shoots at a power line that's like directly above them. Uh, they panic, trying to get away from the power line and fly directly into a pole, like <laughs> just not even paying any attention. That hits them along with the power line. It explodes, and I love that John gives us the iconic line, you know, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. So there it is. And then uh, it immediately just cuts to John catching up with Zeus. And I love that Zeus is like, looks like you got their attention. And he said, maybe we should call a fire truck. And he's like, ah, fuck it, let him cook. 
Um, and then John suddenly remembers that he left Holly hanging and Zeus hands him a quarter and tells him that she'll get over it. And he basically says like, you know, I mean, if she's married to you, she's got to put up with a lot of shit or something like that. And so then roll credits, the movie's over, like yeah. just abruptly, like again, Very it's just quickly. like, bam, like that's the end. They shot him down and that's the end. Which I wonder, I don't know if you read that they're about the alternate endings. Oh, yes, I did. I okay. was just going to say I, I watched it because it was on the Blu-ray. Oh, that's right. They actually filmed it. They filmed one. I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the one that they filmed is uh, apparently it was supposed to end with Simon getting away. And it's like uh, right, right after the boat blows up and John's like all sullen because he's like, oh, he got away. And then it cuts to it doesn't really like show you in context of the movie, but the alternate ending just picks up with. Simon drinking at a bar in, I don't know, Turkey, Turkey somewhere. And John just appears and, you know, has this typical banter where Simon tries to phone someone and he's just like, oh yeah, whoever you're trying to call, they're probably already dead because I just killed a bunch of people. So Simon clears out the bar. John says, I want to play a game of McLean says, and then basically sits this like rocket launcher down on the table in front of them but it's like rigged so you can't tell which end is which end like he removed he like altered it so you can't tell like when you fire it which end is the basically rocket or the missile is going to come out of and so he basically holds him at gunpoint and asks him all these trivia questions and simon gets a bunch of them right until the end but the thing that i had a problem with is all through the meanwhile where they're talking you hear that john was fired from the police. Yeah, like he took the blame for everything Simon did. So, well, because they said that they thought that he was involved with the heist and they even made him take a polygraph because they didn't believe him. And so they fired him and he they stripped his pension and he still split up from his wife cuz she divorced him or something like yeah. that. And then and so that's why John's super pissed. So they're playing this game and then at the very end when Simon gets something wrong, he spins it one more time and John holds the gun up to him and says, you know, pull the trigger and it basically shoots Simon and blows him up and that's the end. And it's just kind of like what the fuck? Like I would have been really disappointed if that was the end cuz it's really lackluster and I agree with this is just one of the two sort of dark endings that they had in mind. Basically, I mean, this one, the second one was a little better. They said they never filmed it, but they said that um, McLean and Carver, so Zeus, floating back to a sh- back to shore on a makeshift raft after the explosion at sea. And Zeus says, it's a shame the bad guys are going to get away. And John tells him not to be so sure. And so the scene then shifts to a plane where the terrorists find their briefcase bomb they left in the park, which Carver gave back to them, meaning Zeus gave to them. In this version, it was not used to blow up the dam. And then the film would end on a darkly comic note as Simon asks anyone has a four-gallon jug. And they said that they rejected it because it was too similar to the ending of Die Hard 2 where all the villains board a plane that later explodes. But I kind of like that ending, actually. I think it's a little funnier where it's just like, oh, does anyone have a four-gallon jug? And this is basically like, yeah, they're fucked. Like, they're not going to be able to deactivate that bomb. So, yeah, I'm fine with the way it ended. I actually don't mind it. Yeah, it's like, it's sudden, but I think it's fine. Well... As we said, I mean, off the top, I think it's pretty obvious how we feel, but do you have any kind of last lasting thoughts or something you'd want to say about Die Hard with a Vengeance? I feel like there's a additional twist in here, too, that I love, that when McLean is finally talking to Simon face-to-face, he kind of like just says like he didn't like his brother Hans, Alan Rickman from the first one. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it was just a bonus. It's like, he barely cares about McLean, actually. It's like, God, I love that, that they're like everything you think the movie's about is actually different. I mean, this is a surprisingly complex action movie. Well, and like I've said earlier, I think my favorite thing is that the first two were very simplistic with their setting. Like they're kind of confined to one area, like an airport or a plane and then a tower where I really, really enjoy this one because they're literally all over the city. In my opinion, it really did feel like somewhat of a love letter to New York and like that, Mm. all the aesthetics. And I think that's why I get excited about it. Like, that's why when I hear that song, The Loving Spoonful, Summer in the City, I always think of New York because it's just so visceral. Um, And then not to mention just also like upping the oddly amount of gore that they use. It's just, (laughs) it's fantastic. 
Well, anyway, yes, I think, like I said, no secret. We both love this movie. I think it's yeah. great. And I'm so glad that you challenged that. I'm glad that you picked this. Next episode, we won't be doing our usual challenge. Instead, we'll be checking in with one of my favorite video store customers to find out what they've put in the basket. Hello, lucky customer. What is your name? Uh, my name's Adam. Adam Gorski. <laughs> Hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Hi, Josh. How do we know you? Uh, we're married. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah. Well, it seems that you have put a movie in the video Dropbox basket. Would you like to reveal what that movie is? Sure. So I <laughs> I went back and forth on this, but I, I'm going to choose uh, Watership Down. Ooh. <laughs> I I assume that is going off the prompt of movies that scared you as a child. Uh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't an uplifting film? <laughs> well, maybe to you, not to me. But yes, I'm, I'm going to go with that. And the, definitely the uh, the original, the 1978 version, not the 2018 Netflix or whatever. Yeah, I forgot they made that. Yeah, the animated OG and I can say that Adam and I have seen this together at one point in our life, but it was many years ago, and I don't remember anything other than the the few things that he's talked about and how it terrified him. So I'm excited to dig <laughs> into you, that. When you wake up screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. Like when he closes his eyes at night, all he sees are rabbits floating out into the oblivion. Like, it's <laughs> a terrifying animation. Well, so, I, I hope it's cathartic for you to revisit it this time around. <laughs> Well, yeah. Next week, we will be checking back in with Adam to discuss the terrifying film Watership Down. And uh, listeners, if you've liked what you've heard today, please follow and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can also visit us at Video Dropbox Podcast on Instagram or contact us at Video Dropbox Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, remember to be kind and please rewind. <laughs>